This is the Carmudgeon Show. Welcome. It is part of the Haggerty Podcast Network, mm-hmm. and it is hosted by Jason Camisa and Derek Tam Hyphen Scott. This episode has a topic. Rambling, yeah, a little bit. Uh, what do we talk about? We talk about how car dealers suck. Yeah. We talk about ADMs how blow. ADMs also mm-hmm. suck. The car market is still out of touch for young enthusiasts. Yes. Except uh, when it's not. Out of reach in some respects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit of sort of follow-up and further discussion mm-hmm. on the topic from the week before last, which was about whether it's a bad time to be a young mm-hmm. car enthusiast. Whether it's a bad time to be an automotive journalist is what I would like to title this episode because uh, you can't say a word about a Cybertruck, for example, or anything without it becoming politicized and everyone getting angry at you. I'm sorry um, for your trauma. I, I will survive this. However, if you like our content, and I promise this episode will be far less somber than that intro, uh, consider joining the Haggerty Drivers Club, which includes unlimited flatbed towing for all of your classic cars, a subscription to our award-winning magazine. Oh, I put that on the table so you could flash it in front of the camera. Can you please oh, yeah, grab that? Um, <laughs> uh, and amazing things like discounts on your, thank you, favorite uh, car stuff and unlimited access to our Valuation tools. Uh, there's a link below. Um, we are part of the Haggerty Podcast Network, and and I've also clapped. Now we just have to listen to the jingle. Was the jingle better for younger people? <laughs> Nobody watches this for how we look, Derek. And we're recording. Well, in that case, I'll just put a bag over my head, but not a plastic one. <laughs> Damn it. So close. <laughs> nice so try. Close. Uh, It'll be a very short episode. <laughs> punctuated by my departure <laughs> in a body bag. Rustling of, of plastic. And we're back. And we're back. Yeah, we're back. We got yelled at. We got hollered at. Yes, I mean, we chose a controversial subject, which elicited some interest. Cybertruck? I mean, that also did that. Can, can I just say one thing before we get on topic? Mm. I mean, I'm. I you never do often this. do. Yeah, often. I resent Always. that. But thank you. <laughs> Much better. Um, the world is so politically charged right now that all I had to do is CNBC called me and said, We think the Cybertruck has a snow problem. Would you come on our. Uh, on our live newscast thing and talk about the Cybertruck's snow problem? I'm like, okay, sure, what what problem? And they're like, well, videos are all over the internet about uh, Cybertrucks getting stuck in the snow. And I'm like, okay, I'll go look for them. There's one. One. Hmm. And there's the other one that was the original, like, the it was a, like a muddy, snowy situation. In it was a very off-road, right? Very they were trying off-road. to get a Christmas tree or something. Yeah, exactly. So this one is a Cybertruck trying to go up a driveway in Tahoe. And it's a steep driveway. It's nothing insane. And it's just sitting there spinning all four wheels and whatever. And of course, not only is it being videoed, the guy whose video got published all over the internet went quote unquote viral is not the only one in the car videoing. The driver of the car that is also videoing. So it's, you know, you see the two cameras. And so I get on the thing and they're like, what do you think? And I'm like, okay. Everyone's noticing this right now because all eyes are on the Cybertruck. And all eyes are on Cybertruck because it's so divisive. For the record, and let me state this very, very, very clearly, I'm not in love with the fucking Cybertruck. I made a video extolling its engineering virtues. I don't want one. I don't love it. I don't I don't have one. I'm never going to have one. But everyone is now like, either put me in the you have been paid by Tesla camp. 
a PR exec clearly accused me of being paid for the Tesla video the other day. And I was, I almost threw the laptop across the room because, and well, all I said was, really, you think if I was paid, I'd be in this shithole? <laughs> I was in my, in my office. I'm like, are you fucking kidding? I'm not getting paid. Um, and I really resent that. But you're either in the Camisa got paid to be nice to this camp or Camisa is now destroying the planet with these EVs. And everyone's got their opinions, but it's like crazy town shit. I am not doing anything else with Cybertruck. I'm not going to mention this truck anywhere in like Instagram. No more reviews of it because people are too upset with me one way or another. If it's good, if it's bad, one, I, I get in trouble either way. But anyway, so I say, I'm like, look, all, first of all, all eyes are on Cybertruck because of how it looks and because of how politically charged it is apparently. Um, and I said, if, if everyone posted social media videos every time an F-150 got stuck in the snow, TikTok servers would blow up. I mean, like, no one cares if a Range Rover gets stuck in the snow. No one cares if a Land Cruiser gets stuck in the snow. One Cybertruck gets stuck on a driveway and everyone loses their shit. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, the second thing I said was a, a bit of consumer advice. Understanding physics. If you're looking at a vehicle and the vehicle is sitting spinning its four wheels, guess what? Car's not the problem. Tires are the problem. You're looking at me like yes, yes, no. I'm okay, listening. thank you. I'm like, oh, I hope you don't disagree. <laughs> right. If unless there's some horrible suspension design problem, um, or you're some terrible way to the importance of all four, all four going simultaneously, which means it is operating as designed, which is trying to put power down to exactly the, to the ground. So this surfaces truck is sitting there spinning all four tires. Okay. Oh, people are bitching the diff. So the, the cyber truck has a, diff, a front diff lock and two uh, rear motors, right? The ones that have come out. Well, the diff lock isn't activated yet. So oh, if it, if Elon hadn't this and the diff lock was active, the car's spinning all fucking four tires. Like there's nothing else the car could have done. Right, locking the diff, the whole point of that is to get the two wheels or whatever, four wheels in some right. cases, if it's a Glendabot or if it has to center differential, yeah. just to locking differential to all spin at the same speed rather than for uh, one of them to spin that has no traction and no exactly. torque to go to the single wheel or remaining wheels that do have traction. Because an open differential will always send all the torque to the, the or the will favor the, exactly, will favor the wheel with the least traction. Which is why so, you lock your differentials when you get stuck. Right, but all cars that, that have modern traction control can will add brake to one wheel to stop it from spinning, thus performing the same way as an open diff. It's an, a less as a elegant, as a lock diff. It's a less elegant solution. It's not what you want, but it'll get you up the hill. But here's this stupid fucking cyber truck scrambling up the hill and everyone's like, oh, there's a problem with it. Okay. The problem with it is the tires. Now, this is an off-the-shelf tire that is available, but there's a special Tesla version of it. And it has, oh God, I didn't do my homework on this one, eight millimeters of tread depth. And I'm, I always do in 30 seconds of an inch because I'm a stupid American. So whatever it is, I think the regular one has 14 and this is 14, 30 seconds this is eight millimeters. So there's a slight reduction in tread depth that Tesla engineered in. Well, look, this is a vehicle that weighs a lot and it has to be able to put enough power to ground to, to hit the zero to 60 targets, which it didn't two six when I tested it. And it has to be able to stop and turn from the velocities it can achieve. It needs to be able to do 130 miles an hour because that's what they chose as the thing's top speed. Um, and it's got to do snow and mud and whatever else and, and be efficient because ultimately range is the most important thing. So there's a balance of attributes that Tesla chose for the tire and for how the thing performs. And that's what it is. There's not a problem 
But you have what other vehicle can do 260 to 60 and then climb a 30% grade in, in icy, snowy conditions on its stock tires? Just go buy a set of KO2s and shut the fuck up. Leave me out of this. I don't want to be part of the Cybertruck debate anymore. You participated, though. Well, I did in that one, not realizing that all I did was be like, hey, it's spinning all four tires. It's just, I thought I was going to go on TV and just be like, hey, it's spinning four tires. Therefore, it's the tire issue. And the tires got to do a lot of different stuff. Maybe Tesla should have an option for more aggressive tires. Maybe they should have a lesson uh, and a, an option for summer tires, for example, if maybe you want to do faster than 260 to 60. No. Did I realize that everyone who's watching CB CNBC, I haven't watched TV in 20 years, thinks like, oh, this side or that side or everyone. Oh, God, I'm so sick of this shit. So anyway, I got myself in trouble with that. Welcome to America. And we got ourselves in trouble with saying it's a good time to be a shitty enthusiast or a bad time to be a good enthusiast. Mm hmm. Please continue. No, a lot. So previous episode we talked about, I titled two it. Ago. Huh? Two episodes. Two ago. episodes ago. I, I titled it, it's a bad time. I think it's a bad time to be an enthusiast, right? And we had a really interesting debate. What I thought, what I thought was interesting. Uh, the audience seems to have thought so too, even if they <laughs> disagreed with both of us, one or both of us. Um, and at the end of the day, the comment that I think I wrote the most in DMs and Instagram comments and on Reddit was, look, at no point was I saying it is black or white. The world is better or the world is worse. Things are different. I pointed out a bunch of examples of things where the economics haven't changed as much as we think they have. Um, things are more difficult, but there are a lot of things that haven't changed that much. And my point here to quote Billy Joel is, the good old days weren't always good, and tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems. That's my point. It's not like, oh, it was you're so easy for me and it's miserable for you, or it was so much harder for me. That Everyone loves to say, I work harder, I do this, I have more, more headwind. That's not the case. Things do change, and I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> Okay. Well, we that last part is important. We don't know what the answer is, right? Yeah. But I mean, there was, we were having two conversations simultaneously. One of them is about uh, has almost nothing to do with cars, which is just about the economic climate and the experiences right. of young people, and that's where we get out of our domains of expertise, which can be potentially problematic. The mm -hmm. other one is actually a conversation about cars and the availability of cars that appeal to enthusiasts. And I think we sort of conflated those, or we, we bounced back and forth between mm -hmm. those two topics repeatedly uh, without putting enough delineating space. Yeah in between them. Um, it's yeah. a lot easier for us to talk credibly about automobiles. Uh, I, what I was also surprised to learn because, you know, I got just inundated with DMS and it's, uh, it's maybe representative of who listens to the Carmudgeon show, but there were just so many young people who are like, I'm 23, I'm 25, I'm 26, and I lust only for cars of this era, which are the same age as me or older. Like, I heard so much of that and much mm -hmm. more of that than anything else. And so that was an interesting point for me to hear yep. uh, because that implies that people are interested in cars that are getting older or that mm -hmm. there's a particular era that's interesting. And, you know, as you're discussing, like, that you were felt pretty unambiguous that there was not a lot of stuff after about 2012 uh, or a lot less stuff since 2012 that's really appealing to enthusiasts. And so regardless of whether that ends in 2012 or 2002 or whatever it is, some year which is, you know, a fixed moment in time as opposed to a rolling moment in time, that's where you get multiple generations of people all converging on the same cars at the same time, which creates, you know, market dynamics that are problematic. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, 
if your generation, you know, Generation X and Millennials and and Generation Z are all lusting after the same Radwood era cars, for example, which, you know, anecdotally, I don't know if factually is true, but there's enough, you know, young people who are interested in that era of car for them to be a factor in the, the market. And it's a market that they're trying to participate in uh, by their own, you know, however many dozens of people approached me, then that means you get three generations simultaneously trying to buy the same supply, same dwindling right. supply of cars, mm-hmm. which is creating price dynamics that make these things feel like they're slipping out of reach. And I like just, I started writing notes because I was like, man, I have to synthesize all of these things because there's literally dozens of people who are all saying it. So let me see. It's so fun. I wonder if we lined up all of the DMs that I got versus the DMs that you got. And I think people reached out to either one of us. Who they who, felt resonated. Right, because I that is certainly not what I, what I the feedback that I got directly. It was the opposite. It was that Derek Did keeps going back to- Did people specify their ages? Yeah, well, not always, but I mean, but everyone was, who wrote me specified their age and yeah. they were all like under 30. Well, because I accuse you of being weird and they're like, I'm weird too. And the thing mm-hmm. is, so you have 25 people who who are also weird. That's, I mean, it was is, probably more like a hundred. Okay. But that's still an echo chamber. Right? Yes, of course. This is the, we said, and that, I acknowledge right? that. Um, this is the this is the problem with social media is that we are able to connect to so many people and we're ta- we're trying to talk about larger trends um, and larger trends are not people looking for cars as old as they are. I don't think. Yeah, but it's enough to be a factor. It's a factor. And it's a voice that exists. I like all yeah. a lot of these messages also began with thank you, like mm-hmm. all caps. Like this perspective <laughs> is something that I is like I feel seen and underrepresented because in they are space. they are a 20 something year old into Radwood era cars is is what it is. Sure. Yep. Um yeah, I mean, so what were you starting to say? I felt uh, like you were about to start saying something. Who the fuck knows. <laughs> um I'm, I'm waiting for you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to just go through some of my mm-hmm. sort of notes that as, as I try to synthesize all of all of this. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing that I think we both can agree on is that the menu of options uh, in uh, as an automotive enthusiast are more expensive and less compelling and less numerous as they as we get into the last decade. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. Um. It was also interesting. At some point, I read a comment about Derek focusing more on collector cars, like air cooled 911s. Oh, yeah. And I think going that, back to air cooled But that person complete, I think I want to bring that up again for yeah. a reason because th- that that is not, was not a collectible car when they were $11,000. And so everyone has this idea that those are collector cars. Back then, they were just shitty used cars the way that all these other cars that we talk about, like, you know, I don't know, cheap BMWs or Miatas are. And the whole point of my argument is that those weren't collector cars back then. They were just like an enthusiast car that you would buy if you had $12,000. I, you're right, but that's the problem. They, with time, they became a collector Correct. car. So to go back to Correct. them and say, I'm longing for the, for the old days, that doesn't work. You can't, you well, can't I'm I'm longing back. for the days where they didn't have to be considered collector cars, where you could just have it be an option along with all the other sort of uh, entry level enthusiast cars mm. that you might buy for ten or twelve grand. But I, I to, honestly, I think most of the cars from that era, from the eras that you were talking about with air cool cars, have gotten more more expensive. And for that's that moving window we talk about all the time. As Not only is it moving, but there's more people trying to join that same window. Well, if you have okay. three generations vying for that same window, is that do you really think it's that different than it was previously? having three generations vying for this stuff. I don't know I how many I think what's people... happening is that people are all getting funneled into the same sort of bolus of cars, which you would say is probably like mid-80s, maybe slightly earlier, to like 2010-ish, yeah. where you can buy a car that you could drive every day that is like... 
uh, fuel injected and has potentially ABS and you could put modern tires on and is like old enough to be an experience, but new enough to not be like a carbureted, unsynchronized sort of chaos, rusty death trap. Death trap. Right. Uh, and so there's this sort of like magical era currently that appeals to people. Another comment that I got that I don't really think about, I think because I haven't owned a lot of modern cars, is that someone's like, I like, you know, E36s or E34s because, you know, something like a headlight is a five and three quarter inch thing you buy at O'Reilly for eleven ninety nine instead of like a $1,300 assembly that has xenon in it mm -hmm. that you can only get from the dealer. And I was like, oh, I don't really think about that because I don't own modern cars. But like mm -hmm. the cost of operating and like the number of computer modules and all that stuff, I mean, was another factor that a lot of people cited that was not something I thought about. Someone else also said, think about Ferraris. You used to be able, if you were at some point, you're like, okay, I can buy a twenty-five or $30,000 Ferrari 308. And that's like the first Ferrari that most people who are, you know, mm -hmm. building wealth, if they're going to start from a position that's not of privilege, then you start with the cheapest Ferrari you can, which used to be a $25,000 308. What is the equivalent now? What's is the it cheapest a, Ferrari it's F, you could buy? I mean, is it an F1 360 or 355 or is it a, a Mondial? In 348. Any, Mondial. You can buy a cheap Mondial. Yeah, so for like 45-ish. Mm -hmm. So someone was like, I used to sort of dream of having have Ferrari accessibility. That's now just not a realistic possibility for me anymore. Yeah, but a Mondial is, is no more expensive. Yeah, it used than to be the 308 GT4, I suppose. Yeah, same price, um, same car. The other thing that I uh, sort of, I'm just sort of yeah. uh, summarizing, summarizing yeah. comments was that the interest in JDM cars seems to be that you can get something interesting for cheap. You know, it's not going to be sporting, yeah. but it's going to be interesting. And if your goal is to have something interesting uh, and you, you deprioritize, you know, a sporting experience and then you buy sort of these peculiar- you buy a Toyota Sarah. Yeah, or right. I mean, less sporting, even than like Nissan Cedrics and mm -hmm. Presidents and yeah. K trucks and stuff yeah. like that. Then you can make a statement and get something interesting. And so people, you know, it to me it reemphasizes or emphasizes the resilience of the human spirit, which is where there's a will, there's a way. If you want to have a cool automotive experience, then people will you will give right. up, you know, athleticism mm -hmm. in favor of interestingness or something like mm -hmm. that. Which is an another choice that I a lot of people recounted was a choice they were making. Uh, ba, 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 ba. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that, another point which actually causes the collision of the two separate conversations that I was just talking about was having a space to work on your own car. If real estate is such a like non-starter for people and you don't have, you can't have a garage to work on your own car mm -hmm. because you know, you want to live somewhere where your job is and it's very expensive and you live somewhere where you have street parking and you make compromises mm -hmm. like that in order to live somewhere where you can whatever commute reasonably. Then they were like, I would love to, to have a, I just can't even have a place to put or work on my right. shitty old car. I was like, oh, interesting. So that causes mm -hmm. the, the commingling of those two issues. Uh, so the, the some of the feedback that I heard on the opposite side of this, which was really interesting, is in some ways it's so much better to be. And by the way, let's let's be really clear about this from, from my perspective. Anyway, you can disagree all you want. There is no right answer to this, right? This is an explore, or exploration and a discussion. I don't know if it's any better or worse. I just know it's different, right? But some, some of the people that brought up stuff is it's so much easier to be a, uh, an, a used car owner now 
And for, for these reasons, number one, we, instead of just an auto trader or a little pamphlet that you had 20 years ago, we now have a worldwide web of interconnected sites that- Wait, but this is all predicated on having the, the ability to buy something. If you okay, don't no, have no, the we're ability to even about buy a car- ingredients, we're not talking about yeah, but the if overall. This, is a, this problem is irrelevant to someone who doesn't even have the money to buy a, a fun car. I was able to- Because of economic- Okay, economic you just climates. mentioned K cars. You, never, you can buy a really nice Honda Beat for 6,000 bucks. Yeah, and in the old days, you used to buy an M3 for $6,000. No. Yes. No, E36, maybe. Which is my favorite one. (laughs) My point is there exist benefits, right? So it's not just all one-sided, right? Yes, of course. Right, so I thought that was interesting. the benefits are irrelevant to you if you can't even enter the market. I don't think the finances have changed as much as, I don't think I agree that the financial situation has changed as much as you do, right? It is harder to get a job. People are leaving school with more debt, but I think inflation-adjusted used car prices are not as far off as we think they were. One of the people confronted me with- Inflation is completely irrelevant if your wages don't grow at a rate that matches inflation. So your buying power goes down. Even if inflation incorporates things like education and healthcare and real estate, which you know the properly defined basket of goods right. that it is that goes into the CPI, the consumer well, price and index. I was just going to say, in the CPI, I don't really think that the CPI has fully kept pace with the reality of life, I even with that non-wage 100%. adjusted. Right? Um, so. I'm just throwing out examples. I'm not taking a side. Stop being like one of the fucking people who are like yelling at me that like you love Cybertruck. Well, what I'm I'm saying is that whoever's making these arguments, Mm -hmm. regardless of whether it's you or someone who's DMing you, you have to understand that if you can't even buy a car, the benefits of living in the modern era are immaterial to you. I think the point is that we have scales where there are things that that are good and things that are bad. And we we should look at all of those different things. We can weight them differently and we can say, okay, well, that winds up becoming not relevant if you don't have money to buy a car, for sure. But it is a factor and it's something that I hadn't thought of, right? The flip side of that marketplace also, which was something that people addressed yeah. or do you have a thought on this or do you want me oh to- yeah no it, it it goes both ways right well, so you, you, the gone are the days where you can sort of like find a car in the newspaper screw from- someone or the, the, the best thing was well, you used to be able to buy a- cars from old ladies who had no idea what they were worth because you had to buy the blue book and you could only buy the blue book if you were a dealer so no one knew what their cars were worth and this is how i put my throat self through college yeah, for example, or if you're, there's a place where there is higher cost of living versus lower cost of living and the resale value of the car is lower in a place where the cost of living is lower because people right. have less money. And so the now there's this incentive, which is sort of equalizing the market nationally, right. where someone who says, I live in this you know shitty area where nobody makes any money and so I can buy this car cheaper here, which is appropriate because I make right. less money. Now there's this sort of That's national marketplace out. where someone's like, these are cheaper here. I'm going to go buy this here yep. and b- transport it to somewhere more expensive and sell it. And it's the people who, you know, are not sort of trying to struggle to enter the market who are doing that because right. they're the ones who have the resources to do, to do it. it. So yeah. that That's the benefits it. of a of a more sort of uh, perfect information marketplace. Well, uh, but the next benefit that I was are yeah, they're they're sort of self-limiting, right? As what you're going to say. But or the, it's a it's a negative for the people who aren't in a position right. of privilege where they have the capital to Fair move point. cars around the country. But for those people who are not in privilege to have a mechanic work on their car, right? Who can't pay anyone, the vast information resource that we have. This was these are not my arguments. Don't give me that look. <laughs> these uh, you can now thanks to forums and the internet and YouTube University. Hey guys, Chris Fix here. You can own a car that you previously had no chance of. Yes. That's another thing I had thought Well, you can maintain it. (laughs) Right, you can maintain it. I mean, 
that, I mean, the, the perfect example of that is in Scirocco when I got it. I mean, I brought it to, I paid 1500 bucks for it. It didn't want to start in the morning. Long story short, it racked up $1,200 worth of diagnostics from a local VW shop that was down mm-hmm. the street from me. I think I've told this story to you, certainly to you, but after $1,200 worth of, worth of Diag, they came back to me with, uh, okay, so your cars has a mem- uh, car has a memory code stored. I'll never forget this for intermittent bad ground on pin nine on the engine computer. And we're trying to find out where that came from. And so I went on this new internet thing. This was in 1997. Oh, that's that right. little mark with the A and then the ring around it. At. Um, and I got, my email blew up with all these people who were like, this was listserv before yes. forums. Blew up with the people saying there is no, there, your Scirocco doesn't have any any diagnostic capability whatsoever. There, pin 9 is not used on the 16 valve because it was for don't quote me on the pin number. It was for cruise control, which none of them had. Um, this is bullshit. You're getting brought to the cleaners. Just go home and this is the fix for it. This is all new. <laughs> so this sort of hive mind fixed that car. Mm-hmm. By the way, I showed up and said, hey, can I borrow my car for a day? I got to go take finals. And then I never went back to the shop. So I probably still owe them $1,200. Um, <laughs> but nice try trying to screw me. I had the internet and that's the point, right? Mm-hmm. So the internet has made the ownership of older cars, getting parts, finding help on... Um, on like complicated repair procedures and DIY stuff so much easier than it was. As long as you have a car that's mainstream enough. Cause I've definitely owned cars where I'm just like, fuck. Yeah. Like, Citroen. Okay, like, okay. But you're a fucking wackadoodle out there. But the truth is you can find tech procedures for almost everything. It's unbelievable how uh, many people have. For a lot of cars. Yeah. That's true. For like Lanchas and Citroens. It's a little You're talking about starting enthusiasts. Nobody wants. I know. I oh, know. You're, I'm going to get blasted now. If one person wants a Lancha and, um, so yes, let me just see if there's anything else in here that I wanted to relay, but, uh, I was surprised by the consistency of the content of what I heard. Well, it's your echo chamber that, I mean, I, I'm not surprised. I always felt it. like it was consistent with the comments in YouTube also, actually. That was the, yeah. the, the true litmus test for me. The YouTube stuff, the YouTube comments, space. yeah, were, were saying that I'm out of touch because I don't realize how, how expensive life has gotten to which I can say, really, I'll show you my bank account. I'm very much in very much in touch with how expensive the world is. Um, and if I wasn't, I wouldn't be driving $1,500 shit boxes. Hey, up, 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 up. Keep the Ferrari out. Um, however, how many of them? <laughs> I'm old. It's taken me a long time to amass this stuff. I mean, literally, I've had the Chiraco 20, what the fuck, what year is this? It's going to be 27 years this year. I mean, this is a long time to have these cars. Um, but the point here is, though, unless you have other no, no, I to make the transition. The point is there's something else. There's another phenomenon ha- having, happening in the market right now. And the two of these things are very much related. And it's the markup phenomenon on new cars. Yes, which is a symptom probably of this situation, right? It's, I mentioned the three ways in which people were getting fucked last time. And one of those things is the lack of options now of sort of modern right. enthusiast cars at most price points. Right. I think the thing we did a bad job at in the last episode is going through there. I could list 30 turn of the century to 2010 cars that are cool as shit. To yeah, own, and that era right? to and me our, is not problematic. I mean, because that's the era where you get like Ford GT and 997 I, Okay, I am talking about, the, hello, back to earth. We're talking about cars for young enthusiasts. Yeah, but the point is that at the right. top of the market, if a car like that exists, then there, that type of philosophy that underpins the state of the art you think so? Sure. I don't know if those are. I mean, if everything correlated. converts to sort of hybridization and turbocharging, sort of in in approximately the same era, there's a character that transcends the entire stack of enthusiast cars. You know, the 1990s 
Halo cars kind of have a similar sort of underlying philosophy and underlying technology that you would say that an Integra Type R, right? Integra, there's a, there's a similarity between Integra Type R and, I don't know, Porsche Carrera GT, even those are, those are 10 years apart from each other, but, you know, choose car from the nineties, Ferrari F50, right? There's this sort of like screaming manual transmission character that exists through the entire enthusiast stack at any particular moment. So my hypothesis is that if you go to 2005 or whatever it is and you say you've got cars like ford gt and ferrari 360 and 430 you know when ferrari goes turbocharging you're like oh fuck now you know it's really over because even ferrari's gone mm-hmm. turbocharging but the point is that the at a particular moment in time the entire stack from whatever p- part of the market you're in will have a sort of character i mean that's why we talk about 80s cars everyone right. knows what it means and it doesn't mean you know it doesn't matter whether you're talking about a crx or a Countach, people all have a sort of like common, a, a yeah. notion of what it means when you say an 80s car. Hmm. Um, but anyway, give us some yeah. examples of, of less elevated cars from that era that are enthusiast I mean, cars. I mean, Pontiac Solstice. Yeah, RSX. That's a kind of an ex- esoteric. RSX? One. No, yours is. The, the Solstice is kind of esoteric. Yeah, but my, my point is you are, I, the example that a friend of mine gave to me is a QP5. Right, you can buy the world's nicest Quattroporte for twenty five thousand bucks. Okay, you, we're not talking about buy. the nicest one, <laughs> but you can go and have a twelve thousand dollar or ten thousand dollar Quattroporte. Yes, there are the list of enthusiastic cars. I mean, think TSX. Yeah, ILX. I don't. I don't have like no TSX argument or, wagon. or disagreement right. at all with anything up to sort of I don't know. We'll call it two thousand twelve right. or whatever. Right. Some think, year that we I think choose. we did. That's my point. Is I think we LFA. did a really bad job. Come on, that is not attainable. <laughs> Well, I was At just offering, left I was, I'm just saying that there's that up to 2012, <laughs> there's like a there's a moment there's like a moment. But where LFA was the beginning. That was past the tip of the iceberg because it was ruined by its own transmission. Yes, that's true. And that's I, true ruined is a strong word, but it yeah. it is by far the worst part of the car. Hey, MR2 Spider can have a, a ruined. You can get an MR2 Spider with a F1 automated. Yeah, an too. SMG. Um, yeah. yeah, no. So I think I think we did a really bad job at saying there are tons of really cool cars from from that era. But I think what we're saying is today, without question, I think we agree on this. Well, the time marker, yeah, we use this the last decade or so, and that's why F thirty was a, a good example because uh, that came out in two thousand twelve. Right. That's the sort of beginning of the. There is nothing anymore left. Right. Now, today, I think we are in a situation where there are so few cars that are interesting to buy. And this sounds- For enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. And this sounds like the old man who made day. However, I think this is what we're all going to agree on, right? The 20-year-olds who are saying thank you to you and the 40-year-olds who are saying mm, whatever. Derek's, Derek's out of touch talking about air-cooled 911s, right? We're all going to agree on one thing. There's nothing out there right now. And the few things that are out there right now are being absolutely ruined by the fucking dealer network. Yeah, so this is, uh, you want to talk about uh, Integra Type S and Civic Type R. The best example I can give is, he he listens to the podcast, so he's going to hear it, but a a friend of, an acquaintance of ours went to go buy a Civic Type R. He had a Mark 7 GTI, he got rear-ended through no fault of his own, some, somebody in a Tesla, hey, let's make this politically charged. Some dumb fuck in a Tesla because they have to be a dumb fuck to be a Tesla. But anyway, some, somebody rear-ended him and then took off. And there he is with a rear-ended GTI. And he gets totaled, totaled check from the insurance company and says, you know what? I don't want to mark eight. There's kind of nothing else. I'm just going to go buy Civic Type R. So with the funds in hand, walks into a Honda dealership and long story short, is ready to buy the car, but they will not let him test drive it. Period. At their, at their ADM. 
whatever I don't whatever I didn't even ask is. the part, whatever the price is, he's willing to pay it. They will not let him test drive it. And I cannot tell you how many people I've heard this from. I, I would buy a Civic Type R right now, but I'm not buying a car without test driving it. Maybe I don't like it. And it's too big of an investment to, to buy. That's number one. The second one is the bullshit dealer practices. A friend of mine in Texas tried to buy an Integra Type S from a dealership that has plastered all over their communications that they will never, in all caps, charge an uh, ADM. And they tried to charge him an ADM. He writes a letter. The sales manager, who you know, there's like an automated email that goes out first, and is like, "I'm so look looking forward to exceeding your expectations." Automated bullshit. And when he writes back, is like, "Hey, I'm looking forward to working with you too." You guys say we you don't do this, but you're trying to get an ADM out of this car. Where do, where do we go from here? The guy's like, "Look, sorry if you're not if you don't want to pay an ADM, we're not we're not talking." Like, and of course, then my buddy writes this diatribe back. Like that's look at the tone difference between your automated email saying all about customer exceeding my expectations. And then the reality of this and the guy's reason for saying that, well, well, we can say we don't charge ADMs is because no one's ever called us on that. And, uh, oh, also we've occasionally charged NSX, uh, like an ADM on NSXs. And so he said, fuck you. I'm not buying Like I'm not, I, I will not work with a dealer that says no ADMs and does it. The problem, however, is that there's enough people out there who want these cars and there's few enough right. of these cars that someone just walks in and does it. And then you're just like, so yeah. I took a stand and now I have no car. Now he's got no car. Same thing. He tried to buy a Raptor R. And this one's really frustrating because I think he don't really like this. This truck wants to buy a Raptor R as his next daily driver. Mm-hmm. No one will sell it to him for uh, without a markup, he doesn't want to pay a markup, which you can. We can argue that back. It's and a market forth, right? failure. It's someone a, it, might say. It, it, listen, if if but the way that, that that's executed, I think was particularly problematic. Right. So this dealer published the truck at uh, at MSRP, said it was in stock, mm-hmm. and he went through an online process where he applied for credit, got the truck, uploaded his proof of insurance, uploaded his driver's license, and effectively completed his social security number to them. Had to, he completed the transaction and then got an email from the the dealer principal saying, hey, we're looking forward to helping you, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so of course he's like, excuse me, what? I I thought I bought it. I thought I bought the car. Like, oh, no, 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 that's not available. Also, there's a markup. And he was like, "Well, well, hold on, wait, wait, wait. It's right here. It's listed as available. It's listed with the MSRP. You can see all of the details on the truck and There's nowhere. A VIN, it's right? VIN. It's, a, it's yeah. attached to a specific vehicle. And it had been there for 50 days. And he's he's like, it's still here. It's still marked as available. What's going on? No response. And so the there, there are two problems. Number one, dealers are assholes. We know this. And the reason why they can be assholes is the same fundamental issue, which is that there's not a lot of options. There's not a lot of stock for that few number of cars that enthusiasts were just like, Fuck it. I want the car. You know, it's it's not a substitutable product. The the when my mom always would tell me you have to be able to will be willing to walk away when you buy a car. Mm-hmm. And I did this once when I was like a teenager and I was willing to pay more for the car and I walked away because she was like, You have to take a stand and prove mm-hmm. to them that this that you can't they're not gonna get the best of you. And I was like and then I didn't get the car and I was like right. What the hell? So you have to think about what your alternative right. to negotiated agreement they call it in in the literature calls us BATNA. Best alternative to negotiated agreement. You know, if you are truly willing to walk away, then you do it. But if you're not, which in these cases where there's you're you, going to have to accept their terms, car, then yeah. you have to accept their terms. Well, that, and they know this, and they, that's why they 
continually fuck people. Simple economics, it's supply and demand. If yes. somebody's willing to pay $50,000 over markup for a car and you're not, they're gonna get the car and you're not. Mm-hmm. But it's the same this, the same market force that's driving the prices of used cars up and up and up and up. And all these are the cars that we love from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, all of it is exactly the same market force that's driving up the, the new car, MSRP, ADM. What few right. enthusiast new cars exist. Exactly. There's a scarcity issue, right? There's not much available on the market right now that's interesting to enthusiasts. So how do you reconcile that with the line where OEMs will say, there's not enough market to develop this enthusiast car? They're complete. <sighs> okay. The, f- the, f- the f- first part of that I say to them is, if your new car was all that good, I'm sorry to say, your old stuff wouldn't be worth what it's worth, right? This is this is the 9-11 conundrum, right? On the, all of the 9-11 stuff is worthless. No one cares except the GT cars, right? The mm. 9-11 ST, the GT3, GT2, GT4, G, all of those GT cars are worth a ton of money because people are willing, there are enough people who are willing to pay for that experience that the, the price is going through the roof. Or we can talk about bandwagoning now because this was another sort of um, hot button topic, mm-hmm. which is that, if this, you know, it's chicken or egg, basically, which is that if there's this market out there that supports the car selling over market and you somehow manage to get one for ADM or without an ADM at MSRP instead, now you have then you, have, you make profit and then you sell it and that's why they sell it. And people are basically like, I can print money if I keep buying mm-hmm. these cars. And so like, this is what happened kind of in 1989. In 1989, there was this huge collector car market run up and then a catastrophic collapse afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I know people, real people who no longer live in chateaus because of this. <laughs> I mean, the, the market did genuinely collapse. Like the market went overnight. From, no, I don't care about that. You own, you know, people who live in chateaus who don't live in chateaus anymore because of this. I mean, I've, I've been kicked out of chateaus. <laughs> and, and uh, anyway, I mean, yeah, there was there were yeah, dealers no, who were huge. basically buying cars and they were selling them at ever increasing prices and they were borrowing against them and they were putting all their eggs into the same basket. You know, t- new Tesserosas were three hundred thousand dollars when the MSRP was a hundred grand back then, and the market sort of very spectacularly collapsed in nineteen ninety. Can I be mean and say something? Something about justice. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. I mean, yeah, Fuck w- you. Well, what happens, and, and I, I, I fundamentally, I do agree with you because it, w- what's happening is that people are being drawn in who are speculators, right? And the cars are getting consumed by people who are not the sort of diehard enthusiasts who are just like, I like these weird old cars, even when mm-hmm. they're eleven thousand dollars, one hundred eleven thousand dollars, doesn't matter to me. They're cheap and shitty, and or expensive and shitty, but I like them. Mm-hmm. And those are the people who will be there after the market collapses. Those are the people who were there before the market got run up like that. Uh, and so, you know, with Porsche GT cars, especially my concern is that the people who are buying the cars are, are the doing wrong so because it's a, and, and you don't get a car unless you've bought several in the past. So it's artificially. So that's the whole dealer up. bullshit, right? Yes. I don't know if, I don't, I don't think I knew this until I started working with you in, at ECME. We're seeing how so many of the people who live in the big Carl world had to buy one car to get another, to get another, mm-hmm. to get another, to get another. Yes. And there were people who would literally spend three quarters of a million dollars on cars that would sit on battery tenders and never get touched solely so they can get an allocation for what they really wanted, which by the way, they were only really buying because there was money built into that, right? This was with McLaren, this was with Ferrari. And I, I see those houses of cards 
falling quite a bit. Um, and everyone has turned their attention to Porsche. There, but there, I think there's a reason why in, in that GT cars are the only place you can get that experience anymore. I mean, you're talking GMA. In terms of the automotive right, experience, yes. Right, in terms of the experience of driving, there's nothing that comes As close to As to the experience right. of getting fucked. <laughs> yes, you can get fucked anywhere you want. Um, but no, I mean, that the reason why that 911 ST felt worth it at $300,000 to me is because you can't bet better that experience experience for any amount of money in the new car market mm -hmm. but i said at the same time i hate that it's so expensive the problem is there are so few choices where else are those people going to go if you want a, something the experience of a raptor r where else are you going to go if you want a gti or you want a hot hatch at this point your choice is that mark 8 which okay there's that or there's a Civic it's Type fine R. if all you ever want to do is drive and not anything else in the car, such as change the radio volume or the H. Look, it's not that, but you can get used to anything, but whatever. <laughs> yes, it's yes, it, you know, the Mark 8's still a good car. It's just not as good as it was. But the you know, hot hatch segment is now down to GTI, Civic Type R, and Civic and, and Acura. Which is large. Right, which is, they're not hot hatches anymore. They're yeah, Rover. They're, oh, I wonder if they're as big as a Rover SD1. They're fucking enormous. Yeah. So really, you know, you have I, Veloster. It, don't forget Veloster. Out of production. Yeah. Okay. And we never got the i30. Right. The, Veloster was magical in terms of how it drove, but I certainly had a lot of friends who were like, "You can tell me how wonderful it is all you want. I'm not driving that ugly piece of shit." Right. Because people still see Hyundai as a less than brand, and well, it, it was, was also not a polarizing car. aesthetically. Right. Um, but I, I do really sympathize with anyone looking for a new car right now. We, you know, we I've talked about this with people who have approached me and said, "I want a new car." What can I have? And I want, you know, um, somebody Corolla calls you and says, GR. right. But that's, or, uh, I mean, the other GR, the 86. 86, right. Your choices are, I mean, the joke is, you know, you want, I want something that's a manual and something that is reasonably practical that I can use as my daily driver and preferably something with an interesting engine. What are my choices? And I think we're at an all time low mm -hmm. in that. And that's maybe, maybe the malaise days were just as bad. Um, although, you know, maybe there were funner cars that were that, just also that was, slow. I mean, in retrospect, of course, it's less dark. At the time, I'm sure it seemed dark, but that was motivated by a delta between regulations and technology. technology. And so you're like, this is a problem that we can solve with just the brute force of engineering. This, the problem that exists now is not the result of that. That The result of that is sort of these economic factors it and OEMs. It kind of is. No, it, I actually... so. The Malaysia, if, if if any one of you guys gets a chance to read any car reviews from the 80s, early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Speaking 80s, of reading was, car reviews, we discussed a new idea which we failed to deliver on John Phillips' quotes. Oh, that's a good one. Um, we have to do that. Let's but, try and remember at the end. We're going to okay. forget. Remember, Jake, you got to remind us. We're going to make an episode out of the best of John Phillips' quotes. John Phillips was a writer for Car Driver uh, for many years, had a column. He was the funniest guy in the business. Um no, no, there. What the hell were we talking about? We were talking about the regulatory yeah, environment the regular, that caused so, Malays era problems yeah. and how and that the, compares the, to the today. late '70s, early '80s was a terrible time for for performance with for cars because the only way to make the cars cleaner, which they needed to do, was to make them slower and slower and slower and slower. We're having the opposite effect with that right now, which is interesting, is that the only way to make these cars cleaner is to make them electric, which is making them faster. Um, but people are very upset about this because people like their internal combustion cars and they don't want to go to electricity. But what is also happening is that the, the internal combustion engines are being strangled to the point where you can't make 
really fun cars anymore. It's very difficult to make a, nor- a high volume, naturally aspirated manual car um, to pass, especially European regs. So the problem with being American is we love to think we rule the world, but we don't. Um, there are very few parts of the market that are solely uh, U.S. based, and that's like full size pickup trucks, for example, or full size. Sure. No one cares about those outside the U.S. But the rest of the cars, whether they're whether Asian or European, have to sell around the world. And European, especially European regs, are so difficult to pass that they're just not commercially viable anymore. And so the the idea of a naturally aspirated manual something is going to have to be so low volume that they can get exemptions on it or they can somehow otherwise pass it past their board. So GT3 does this kind of... Kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's it's strangled. GT3 would be a very different beast if it weren't for the European stuff. Um, I mean, or the California drive-by yeah. US regs, right? Yeah. Um, but I think we're, we are... This is an unprecedented time in that we are at peak automobile in a lot of ways. But in the in terms of the enjoyment of driving, we are so far past peak, um, and it's just not even close anymore. If you know, there's there were probably discussions that cars in the early '80s were some in some ways better than they than they had been. Um, you know, with the onslaught of the Japanese market, like cars coming into the U.S. for the first time ever, Honda came online, Toyota really came online. People started recognizing those were better cars. Um, but I don't think we've ever had a situation better where, in the objective better yeah, sense, right. not in the experiential exactly. sense. Because I think that everyone was enthusiast magazines were all mourning the passage of the enthusiast car. Yeah, until until the sort of you know eighty three, eighty four, eighty five. Yeah, EFI, multi valve, right, and catalysts. But we're not. We've been in a really great time to be a, a car enthusiast for a long time, and it's just not now because the industry is heading in the wrong direction. Right, and our assumption was that things always get better, and uh, you know. I don't, they don't. They do. I mean, look, they do for transportation. Yes, but they're not for we, us. We, the we in that sentence is right. enthusiasts as opposed to you know. And I said, population said that in that episode that the sort of de facto enthusiast sedan has become the Tesla Model Three. And I said at least on this coast. I don't know if that's the case in the rest of the country, but it depends on what sort of performance you want. And you did say performance, not like enthusiast. Give me fuzzy, fizzy what feelings. Else th- what else is there? Yeah, I don't know. Beats me. I mean, there is no two series sedan. The three series is a seven series yeah. by size. Same thing with the CT4 and manual CT4. Anyway, CT4. CT4 was one, is one of the few shining stars. And then, to your point, no one buys it. Yeah, no one buys the Miata. Uh, you said earlier. You pointed out that it was all over the news that uh, that Supra Supra sa- sales, sales are down forty eight percent or whatever. Yeah, it's five years old. Yeah, like how long do we think this was going to go on for? Yeah, but it, I mean, at least there's some corner of the market where there's no ADMs. <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking for a That's silver true. lining here. <laughs> That's true. I just, I still don't want one. I'm sure you don't either. I would like a CT4. I would, I could daily a CT4. I would be pretty Even with an automatic. It actually works pretty well. I mean, hold on. Let me say that. I wouldn't have an automatic, but it works really well even with an automatic. Okay. That's better. Um, yeah. But there's kind of nothing. So yes. I think those driving for the same forces that are pushing ADMs are pushing up the prices of old, older cars. I think we can all agree on that. They're, the choices are, w- are being whittled down and whittled down and whittled down. Now, at the same time, there's the new market of electric stuff coming online. The um, other thing that's happening is that there's this sort of general economic climate of high interest rates right now, which is removing some people from the market. And I think it bears mentioning that if you 
somehow are in a position to buy right now, then it's not a bad time to be buying because all of this sort of superheated nonsense that was happening during peak pandemic is largely passed. Uh, and so... Unless you're trying to get a Civic Time R. Yes. Or, I'm, I meant in the sort of secondhand enthusiast mm. car space. And so if you were like, man, these, this is insane and unsustainable in the pandemic, you were right. And now is a great time to buy. So start looking under rocks, I guess. But uh, it's, you know, it's 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 or, heartening. There's more balance between buyers and sellers. Or look at this stuff from 2000. I mean, from anything from 2000. Yeah, but all that although, stuff already went up. Although, yeah, but some of, the, some of it's re- still really reasonable. But I just saw a $50,000 Pontiac G8 sell the other day. Like, Holy hell. Yeah. Like, oh, crap. Um, there goes my whole argument, right? Unrepeatability like, is really a thing in, in today's market. But, right. You know, that I, was a dead end. I, I drove a, a E34 M5 over the weekend, and I was like, man, these things are really cheap for what they are. There's definitely, mm-hmm. like, opportunities. I guess at some point we should probably put a list together of things that we think are undervalued or, or that deliver a great experience for the number of dollars they cost. I think E34 M5 to buy, not maybe not to maintain with the S38. Um, and E36 mm-hmm. M3s, I often talk about this and that car in this, this same context. Two P5s. I mean, there we could yeah, have... But these, a lot of these are to buy, but yeah. not to, to maintain. Yeah, but there's there's good stuff. Yeah, there's there's really there, good there stuff. is, yeah. especially with the market being more balanced. I know. mean, an AT, oh, like um, with C63s, W204s. Yeah, C63. I think that Cayman's also, the first generation Cayman S. Kind of uh, like an ATS, like yeah. an ATS-V. That's a hell yeah. of a, of a experience for a sedan. There yeah. are plenty of things. Jag XF shoot spool brake. There are probably if you can six find of one them. of the, th- yeah, I was going to say three, but maybe it is six. <laughs> <laughs> if you can find one. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's a topic that's probably worth exploring because there, I do see opportunity out there. It's not all doom and gloom, especially that's in the ex- last year. That's exactly the point I, I made. Assuming like, you have right. the money in the first place to enter the space. And that's the big hurdle that's that I wanted that, to draw right, attention right. to. Right. And that's where we need to stop and say, we can't talk about, we're not economists. And even those people who say they're economists, much like whether people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Can we just agree on that? Sure. I hate everybody. Yeah. Perfect. And to quote Billy Joel, good old days weren't always good. Tomorrow in as bad as it seems. Um, Chin up. Should we have another quote? Should we, I, I was thinking we should just do one in every episode oh, of, okay. from John Phillips. Oh, all right. Is that okay? We've done this before, yeah. but... Uh, this is going to be a teaser because next week is not going to be John Phillips. Well, we have another episode was, planned for next. Oh, week. that's right. That's true. Uh, but what I I think it's he says such absurd things that there's probably enough and and a small percentage of it is online. And so my intent is that w- what we should do is just take all the car and drivers from the period that he was writing and go through them and just be like, have you seen this insane bullshit? Because there's like I don't know, there's probably half a dozen of his articles that are online, and then the rest of them are just deep in the pages of I have magazines I have all those in car hard drivers. copy that are on eBay. All if right, you're so lucky, we'll spend we'll spend a day in my office going through old cds yes okay uh which one do we want oh you already started compiling them well i sent you one i took yeah, a I know. screenshot and sent you one actually let's just do the one from the cadillac ext the escalate ext which is the the, the chevy avalanche but as a cadillac i might have even i've, I've said I this before said because this i before. think it's so funny i drove this cadillac to our 10 best loop to attest its handling later on i came back <laughs> there you go okay and on that bombshell uh, uh, we will see you next week. We will see you next week for additional. Everyone, training. stop fighting about the Cybertruck. Stop fighting about whether cars suck and people suck and the economy sucks. It's unambiguous. Everything sucks. everything sucks. Can we just every? Yeah, can we agree on something? Everyone and everything sucks. Great, Carmudgeons. We are. But definitely- tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems.